sparky.org. You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com Good evening, 
and welcome to Morph Mom Moments. What an exciting, exciting night tonight. I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to announce that my guest, Sarah Megan Thomas, is with us tonight. Um, she's an actress, a writer, a producer, whose mission is to tell stories about strong and complex women. And what I love about it, uh, I love about what Megan is doing and has done, is that she's creating the work you want to see, creating the roles we want to see, and making it possible that women can go out there and do that. Now, before I officially introduce Sarah, I'll quickly uh, explain to those of you who are new to Morph Mom Moments tonight exactly what you've gotten yourselves into. I'm Kathleen Smith. I started Morph Mom about five years ago. Our mission is similar to that of what Sarah's doing in a different way, is to share women's stories around the country and explain what they've done and how they did it and what worked and, most importantly, sometimes what didn't work. And it's to ask those women to sort of pay it forward and share the stories of what they've done to help others to get the inspiration to do that. You can go to morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H, um, dot com, to watch the videos, to hear what they're doing, to connect with those women um, the radio show, I write for Huffington Post. You can read the stories there. We have cocktail parties around the country. We host non-conferences. And I say non-conferences because they're not your typical conference. And you can go on the website and find out about all this information. But let's get to why we're actually here tonight. And again, I'm thrilled and honored to introduce my guest, Sarah Megan Thomas, again, who's actress, writer, director, most recently of the movie Equity, which is unbelievable if you've not seen it you need to immediately rent it or get it and go see it it's one of the first female driven wall street films um ever to have been out there and most recently is now being developed into a tv series so sarah thank you thank you thank you so much for joining us tonight yeah thanks for having me it's an honor to have you here um so sarah before we get into all this tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to do this yeah, I mean, I always wanted to be an actress. When I was five, I used to, you know, do little home productions of Les Mis in the living room. Um, and I come from a family of two lawyers, two supportive lawyers, but they were horrified. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, fast forward, uh, after college, I uh, went to drama school in London and actually trained in Shakespeare and the classics and got this wonderful background, uh, but came home to New York and was kind of dismayed with the types of roles that were available to me as kind of the girl next door type um, and wanted to see more complex roles for myself, for my female friends. Um, and so, yeah, at first I started a theater company that did just that, and then I moved into indie film. So when you came when you came to New York, you did theater as well. Yeah, yeah, I love theater, and that's actually where what I was originally trained in. Um, it's just it, it's wonderful. Did you feel that there was um, as much of a discrepancy on the on the stage as there was in film and television as far as female roles? That's a great question. I mean, like some of the best roles for women are in Shakespeare, um, but there certainly aren't. It's not fifty fifty, and we're fifty percent of the population. So yes, I mean, I think I think it is a problem everywhere, and I think the great news is is people are starting to talk about it, and it's starting to change. But for it to change, it really has to start with the producers, actually, uh, female producers who want to create, you know, female driven content and and hire female writers. That's, and that's where it starts. So, when how long did were you on the theater before you switched over to film when you got to New York? Uh, about six years. Yeah, I did a bunch of off-Broadway productions. The first one I did was 
a gender reverse loves labors lost and we market it as sex in the city meets Shakespeare and it was <laughs> so much fun um, yeah and then uh, I did a bunch of other plays another interesting one was Hitler's mistress and Mussolini's mistress in a room with a German soldier um, and a lot of what I did is I'd bring over plays that were from um, Scotland or England that hadn't yet had their kind of New York premieres. But theater being theater, you know, there isn't, uh, in the theme of equity, don't let money be a dirty word, right. there isn't, you know, a, a great living to be made off of um, running a, a theater company. I'm still bartending. I was still living on my sister's couch. <laughs> and, and so I, I decided that I really um, wanted to move in to the film. So how do you... When you make that decision, you think, okay, this is the, I'm going to switch over now. How do you do that? How do you make that decision? Or how do you actually do it? Yeah, you know, I think I was lucky that I didn't know what it involved when I decided to do it at the time because I, I wasn't daunted and I should have been. Um, I got my feet wet in theater and, and it was much smaller producing and creating and, and um, starring on stage than a film where there might be 200 people on your team. Um, and what I did is I just literally went to the Barnes and Nobles on the Upper West Side where I used to live, uh, 83rd and Broadway for you New Yorkers, and bought every single book on writing a screenplay every single one <laughs> and then I read them and then I wrote a screenplay um, and then I had a reading of the first screenplay and was devastated by how bad it was <laughs> <laughs> uh, and learned that writing is rewriting and um, and then just set out to fundraise uh, and I chose a project that my first film was a female um, driven rowing film I grew up loving Bend It Like Beckham um, love those kind of sports family dramas and kind of didn't think there were enough of them and wanted to create that for um, the sport of rowing which I did uh, in high school and college um, and so what I did on the fundraising side to raise the money for the first film as a producer was uh, connect with a community of rowers who wanted to support this and see women's rowing on the big screen and they, they were my investors in the first film. So at this point now for those of you listening, again, we're speaking with Sarah Megan Thomas, and this is so exciting tonight. You've now a, a co-founder of uh, Broad City Production Company. But at this point, you in time, you don't have a production company. You're sort of doing this on your own? Well, I'm about – the press release isn't out yet, but I am launching my new company soon. Um, so you'll have to tune back in. But, yes, for my next film, uh, which is a – female-driven spy thriller based on three real women in World War II. Um, yeah, it's going to be under a new shingle. So when you first set out and you had this rowing thing, how do you how do you even know where to begin? How do you look for the investors? How do you – what do you do? It was really a lot of research, and I think that's where kind of, you know, my college degree, my parents, you know, teaching me how to write when I grew up, came very valuable um, to me. And so what I did is, I, I like to say in producing anything, and I learned this in theater, you have to know before you commit to a project what your audience is and why you think you can sell it. Because if you, know, if you in the case of theater, don't have people show up, or in the case of film, don't make your investors their money back, you may not have a, a business plan or a model that you can make more movies or more productions. Um, so with backwards, which was the rowing film, I just started Googling who are rowers in Pennsylvania, <laughs> which is where I was going to shoot, um, that are 
wealthy. <laughs> That's really the truth. Um, and, you know, started writing letters to people. And also, I was a rower in high school and college, so I had a, a network of people that I could sit down and talk with and get for sponsorship. So, for example, um, co-producer on the film, Tony Schneider, he is a rower uh, at Vesper in Philadelphia, and he was able to coordinate free boats, um, free Vesper Boathouse, free Ergs, and, and that's a huge chunk of change you can take out of your production budget and actually make the movie for a low budget. So what was it like when you, so we were, we were, Sarah and I were talking about this yesterday, and it's sort of like your baby as you're growing this. What was it like when yeah. it actually came to fruition, and it, it was there, and you were watching it, all this work and effort and stress and sweat that had gone into it? It is really amazing. I think when you see a full movie that has taken two years from kind of idea to screen and it's actually works. It's like, because there's so many times in the creative process when you have these hurdles and you're not sure if it's going to work, especially like very early on in the edit room. Um, And so when it comes together, it's amazing. Uh, It's just an incredible experience. So this led to your next film, incredibly successful, as I mentioned before, first female-driven Wall Street film, um, Equity. It is phenomenal. It's, I, I saw it. I brought a bunch of more moms to go see it. It's phenomenal. Um, tell me about how that sort of happened. Yeah, so in between Backwards and Equity, I'd had a baby. <laughs> there, was a, there was a little uh, interim uh, thing going on. And after that, I was thinking about what I wanted to do next in terms of my next film project. And my husband, who I met as my next-door neighbor in New York, incidentally, (laughs) true story, um, worked on Wall Street. Uh, He worked uh, at Lehman Brothers till the end and um, now at J.P. Morgan. And so for years, I'd kind of technically been a Wall Street wife and I'd been to certain events and functions and I'd seen these amazing, incredible women uh, that worked with him. But there weren't a lot of them. There was one or two in a group. And I just thought, huh, wouldn't it be interesting to tell a story about these women? And then I started Googling it and realized that, oh, my gosh, this story has actually never been told. Um, And so I decided this would be a great story. And I brought on board Alicia Reiner to um, produce with me. And I brought on board uh, Amy Fox, who's a wonderful um, screenwriter. She had actually written a play for my theater company uh, years ago, which is how I met her, to uh, write the screenplay for Equity. And then and then off we went to the races. <laughs> so when she wrote the actual screenplay, but you, did you, you sort of provided her with the outline, I guess, or with the... the- yeah, so it's called, it's like a story, it's called technically a story by credit. And what that means is, um, you know, I came up with the idea, I was integral in the characters and the plot, and, you know, it's a team effort, but Amy took pen to paper and wrote these beautiful speeches and these beautiful lines and dialogue. So she, she's the screenwriter for that one, um, for sure, and did a did an incredible job with it. You know, we we interviewed so many women on Wall Street, and Amy was wonderful being able to take those interviews and put them in a piece of fiction which is a lot more difficult than it sounds because we weren't making a documentary um but it was it was such an interesting process and for equity a lot of the investors were actually women on wall street that's so fascinating so how did you approach them so it was very much the same process um actually this is an interesting story uh i saw in the new york times that um 
a CEO at a major bank was also a rower. And so I wrote him a cold letter and sent him a copy of Backwards and didn't know if it would go anywhere. And it got me a meeting and I was sat down. Now, that person didn't invest. But after the meeting, he made he learned that I went to Williams College and he made introductions to other people in finance um, that went to Williams College. Uh, one um, the film is in memory of and um, who work on Wall Street. And those people took meetings because of that recommendation and because we had the same alma mater. And from there, it took about, you know, 15 or 20 more meetings before I got our first investor. But it, but it really started with that initial letter. And, and finding the first investor in any project is always the hardest thing because the first question people ask you is, who else is investing? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so this is, I think, the best lesson to anyone out there beginning anything, regardless of what it is. Like, how do you... Or how did you specifically have the perseverance or have the fortitude to sort of keep going and keep going until you you got what you needed to do? Yeah, I think it's really, really tough. And I think there are days where you're like really exciting because you have lots of meetings and then days where it's tough because nobody said yes early Mm -hmm. on. And I think my sports background there really helped in that, you know, you learn in sports to just keep going and that you're going to have wins and losses and and each game's a new game so you know that really taught me this skill set because you know for every 50 people who say no one will say yes and that one can totally change the game and our first investor in equity was the executive producer ultimately candy straight um you know and she when, when i met with her she she started at a small amount and she increased her amount as she went as we went along, and she was pleased with our progress. But she was instrumental in making so many introductions to so many incredible women, um, including our mutual friend Suzanne Curry, who who invested. But they invested, and they got to know us because Candy made that introduction. I think that's another tip in fundraising. Like even in this next film, um, you know, I have several investors who are really investors that are introducing me to all of their friends and their networks and and that's really helpful in fundraising so when you go to these producers and by the way so and and as meg uh, sarah just mentioned suzanne curry is a mutual friend a produced producer and part of this but is an amazing amazing woman and i think that's so huge in this like finding a woman who as supportive and as encouraging and wants you to do well. I think that's such a great find in this world nowadays to find somebody who actually is out there supporting you all the time. Oh, absolutely. And that's and that is how movies are made. Yeah. So when you go to the producers, so do you what do you show them? Are there reels or is is most of the movie like sort of shot at that point? I'm just I I, I don't know how that works. When I go to um sorry, producers or potential mean- producers when you're going to Oh, you mean investors? Investors, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So none of the movies shot, and usually um, uh, it, it depends, and it, it depends on where you are in the process. But with all my films, I've started with a business plan, and, and it's about a 12 to 15-page business plan that kind of outlines what the movie is and why I think it's going to make a profit with comps that are actually comps for at least that genre and explain what movies are selling for right now and why the budget that I have for this movie can can make a profit. And then a script, you know, investors read the script and, and if they don't like the script, it's a non-starter. So you have to have a good script to start. And then I've also put together for all my films a kind of a quick sizzle reel, which is this 90 second to two minute sizzle reel of stock footage basically of other films to show what your film is why your film's different what it's not 
Oh, that's interesting. So the sizzle reel is of the uh, to make the the point or make the differentiation between the other films. Yeah, so it's in the genre. So, for example, for right. Equity, we had a sizzle reel that showed you know pictures of Wolf of Wall Street, pictures of Margin Call, pictures of all these male-driven Wall Street movies that we love. But then we said, but we don't have this, and we showed a picture of the lead character in our movie, and then we recited a couple lines from the script and all that. That's so fun. That's so fun. Yeah, that it's do fun. That. It's like a little visual pitch. Right. So we talked about, so, you know, during all this, Sarah now has a little boy during, like, as she's trying to juggle all of this. So how, how do you do this? Well, you know, I think I have a four-year-old and I have a wonderful support system. I have a wonderful husband um, who works hard, too. And, you know, we have help. We have a nanny. So that's incredible, too, because we both work full-time. And I think that... The thing about my job is like, for example, right now, right now I'm in the thick of it. I'm in prep for my next film. And from basically now until the end of April, it's seven days a week. And that's just the nature of kind of being the CEO of a little startup. And I and I have a family that understands that. Um, and then when that's over and the, the film's in the edit room, and as the producer, I, I can't even get in for the first 10 weeks. You have to let the director and the editor do their thing. I take that time off and I really spend quality time with my son um you know so that it could i can't every night be there but i'm there for anything that's important and i think you know that's how we make it work so that's so interesting so after it's shot you you have to step away during those 10 weeks yeah i mean you never really step away you get emails every day i'm a little bit of a you know one hands-on person right (laughs) way of saying it um you know but i i do respect the process and the process allows for the director to have time to do their vision and the editor too because editing is such a such a process um and then the producer comes in and you work as a team um and then you have a producer's cut what happens if the cut that they produce or that that, that comes to you is not exactly what you had envisioned how do you negotiate that well i think you know, it's it's always a discussion and it's always teamwork and there are always going to be disagreements uh, between artists, you know, because even if you all are on the same page and same vision to start, by the end of the process, you're going to be on slightly different pages because of your experience in making the movie and what you see on the screen in the edit room. For, for me, uh, it is actually a, a deal breaker. I insist on Final Cut on all my movies um, and in, when I hire them early on when I hire the director and, and, and the directors have been really um, nice about that and understanding that because it isn't a project a lot of directors are writer directors so they've created the baby and then they direct it these are projects that they come on board with the babies already <laughs> what's the word already gestating <laughs> that's right <laughs> there's a seed right there's a script and there's a vision there and so I think they respect that but from a, from a business perspective how I explain it is that my obligation is to my investor group first and foremost period and there might be a small decision or a big decision in the edit room that affects how the film sells and the director may or may not um, agree with that because they're going to want to do their vision as an artist because that's their job my job is to say no 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 like we may have to make this cut because it's going to sell the film better um, and at the end of the day I'm the one who has to answer to the investors. Right. So as you produced this movie, Equity, and how you went through all the stages, what did you what did you learn about this world, this Wall Street world, and women in the Wall Street world? I learned so much because I thought I knew more than I knew. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
then yep. when I started like interviewing these fascinating women, um, first of all, you know the complexity, complex, complexities of Wall Street and how hard these decisions are and how hard these women work, um, all the travel, everything. Um, even you know getting on a plane and going to london and back for one day and you know tokyo and back another day and then san francisco and back i didn't realize that so much travel was involved for these investment bankers um, and then also a lot about the investment banking world because my husband isn't in that world on wall street um so i really knew nothing about that but i just have so much respect for these women who who work so hard and and do work in a male-dominated profession and you know that is hard was it difficult because sometimes the perception and has been for a while you know if that a woman's going to achieve that status she's going to have to be maybe not perceived as the kindest person or you know she's going to have to do things that maybe she wouldn't normally have done did you have a struggle sort of how to portray being aggressive and achieving what they wanted to do and yet maintaining some sort of uh, you know not not jumping into that stereotype necessarily that they had to be more aggressive and not as kind as they may have normally been to achieve what they had. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the world of the film, I, and my, and my character, Aaron, who actually, you know, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, turn this <laughs> off, <laughs> but she breaks the law, um, you know, we wanted to create complex women and so on wall street so even though you know they are women on wall street it's not true stories and we we wanted to show women in this world and the good the bad the ugly because putting complex women on screen is more of what we need to see um so i'm not sure how realistic erin would be in the real world what she does you know what i mean a la kind of wolf of wall street um but we tried to retain realism in you know other areas like how she dresses you know her intelligence all that kind of stuff it's such a fascinating movie and i i brought as i said i brought a bunch of more moms to go see it one night and we all represented or in our prior lives had been in you name an industry we we were there from law to wall street to insurance to you name it, we covered it. And it was really interesting that everyone sort of walked away with a feeling that although this specifically dealt with Wall Street, it generically could have applied to any of those fields, to a law firm, to an insurance firm, to whatever it was, and how the women were struggling to achieve what they had to achieve and what they had to go through to get there. Oh, I thought that was so surprising. Like when we did test screenings, we got the same reaction. Like people who didn't work on Wall Street we were like, I go through the same thing. And even specifically to Aaron's plot line about being pregnant and hiding it, you know, I had to do that as an actress. And I knew the actresses had to do that. And we learned when we interviewed Wall Street women that they still had to do that, especially when they were up for a promotion. But what I didn't realize is how widespread it was. Like literally almost everyone I talked to who was a working mom or a working pregnant woman had to hide it because they were scared it would mean that either their salary would be cut or they wouldn't get promoted. I hid it when I, back in, I was at the prosecutor's office at that time and I had to hide it because I'd just been moved up to a trial team and I thought, oh my God. Like we, there, it, and it's, it's what a terrible thing because as happy yeah. as you are about what it is and you're celebrating this amazing thing at the same time, you're trying to negotiate your work world. And it's really yeah. hard. 
Yeah, it, it is really hard. And I do think people look at you differently when you're pregnant. Quite frankly, as the producer hat on, right, Employ- employer, you know, you might look at someone different who's pregnant who you know is going to have to take a couple months off if it's a short-term hire. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You know, so it's like there are these, I don't know if you want to call them unconscious biases, but we still have these biases towards pregnant women that they're going to be less effective in the workforce and that is actually a short-term view we need to look long-term at okay so maybe they're going to be out for six months um but long-term that doesn't mean they're not valuable to the company and shouldn't be promoted and all that kind of stuff and especially like when you're up for partners like again i can relate to it more from a law perspective but at a law firm and if you're up for partner god forbid like you're done you're not you're Oh, that's right. You're not considered that. then, right? It's, it's, and it's very yeah. similar, I think, across the way, across the field. Well, the thing that we discovered in the interviews on Wall Street was that if you don't get promoted as a woman by a certain age, so it, you have to be a VP at a certain level, a EVP or MD at a certain level, then you're kind of seen as not a player and you can never catch up. And that was something people time and time again told us, so that when these VPs get pregnant, um, they really feel like they have to hide it, and that some women actually say they will wait until they are an MD to get pregnant, because at that point, they've kind of made it. Right, and, and so when you spoke to those women, were they regretful in any way? Like, what was their sort of reaction to the course that they'd taken and the choices that they'd made? Um, I don't know that any were regret, so to speak, because I don't think it was... I mean, yes, it was a choice, but I feel like it's a culture. Um, you know, I mean, some women we met uh, had children very young on Wall Street. You know, Barbara Byrne, who's a co-producer in the movie, had four kids, um, you know, on Wall Street. So I think each woman found their own path, but I do think it was sad that so many felt that they had to hide their pregnancy and that, you know, being pregnant meant that they wouldn't get ahead. Because I, I firmly believe that you can be a fantastic mom And you can also be ambitious and you can also work really long, hard hours. And that's okay because, you know, you just have to carve out the time for your child or children and be at everything important to them. But, um, you know, it is like that thing. You can't have everything all at once. You have to um, focus on different things at different times. But that doesn't make you a bad mom. You know, my mom worked full time. She's an incredible mom to this date. And and anytime I need her, she picks up the phone. so I think it's good for kids to have a, a role model of a strong working woman if that's what the mom wants to do. I do too, a hundred percent. And that we can do anything. You know, we'll get it done at four in the morning if we have to get it done. It's going to totally. get done. Totally. So, so we talked about. So you had a son in the middle of all this that was going on, and now how do you? And he's still young, but does he understand what you're doing, or has there been any conversation at all with him? Um, we do have, like, conversations when I go away, you know. So, for example, when I go to shoot, and when I go to shoot this next movie, I will be out of town for two months. Um, and, you know, my husband and I haven't gotten down to the nitty-gritty plan of it, but um, in general, I don't bring my son to set. He, he may come for a visit uh, on the weekend or something, and we did that with Equity. It was actually, he was only two at the time. It was a bit of a disaster for him. Because <laughs> uh, he would see his mom, and then his mom went away, and, I, and it just didn't, it didn't work. Um, so we always have, my, my husband's from Oklahoma, and we always fly his mom up for the whole time. Um, we're lucky that, that she is not working right now, and so she is like, the person that is there full time um and then i travel and then i come back um but 
you know, we, we FaceTime and we do all the things that we can to stay connected. And there, there are obviously going to be many conversations because now he just turned four. Oh, so cute. So, but yeah, he's amazing, but he's going to be so proud of what his mom has done and continues to do. Totally. I mean, I actually <laughs> sound silly, but I really wanted a boy personally. I mean, obviously it doesn't matter. You just want to, you want a healthy child, but I was really happy having a son and in that, you know, I think it's important for boys to have really strong female role models. And I'm really excited that um, hopefully that's what I can be for him. So that that's what he sees as normal. There there was, um, during one of the equity Q&As, uh, someone came up to me after with three boys. And she said, thank you for making this movie because I have the DVD. And my son, one of my sons said to me, I think he was like eight or nine, Mom, why are there three women on the DVD cover? (laughs) And, like, it's such an innocent question, but when you think about it, it's really disturbing. Like, this kid had never seen three women on a DVD cover. And so the mom was like, thank you for, you know, creating movies that that boys can watch that show them that women can have all kinds of jobs. They can be spies. They can be on Wall Street. They can be pilots. That's normal. Oh, that's a fascinating comment, right? I never even thought of that. Just yeah. the visual that a kid would not even realize. Yeah. So there was a comment that, that from the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, and I was reading up, and it said, if she can see it, she can yes, be it. Yes, she can be it. I it's love great this. So, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so so the Gina Davis Institute uh, is a creative consultant on my next film. They were creative consultants on equity. Um, Gina Davis and Madeline Denono are, are just two incredible women, and what they do is they put numbers um, and studies uh, behind what you already know, which is that there are very few female producers, directors. Women speaking roles where there are women on television is less than a quarter of the roles, even though we're 50% of the population. And the point of doing all these um, statistics is to show that women are being portrayed as a minority on screen and what you see on screen affects you more than you know an example I like to say is you know I'm not a good flyer I, I travel a lot <laughs> we did a press tour with Sony all over you know I was nervous on every flight and on one flight there was a female pilot and I, I'm a feminist and I got scared for a minute and, and I thought about it and I was like why are you scared and it was like because I had never flown on a plane where there was a female pilot and I've never seen it in a movie I've never seen it in a TV show so there was just this unconscious bias that she would be less qualified which is ridiculous right. you know um, so what they're what the Gina Davis Institute does is is really incredible I think that quote is so fascinating and important to everybody like just in general like if you can create it or if you build it they will come so when you were saying like you sort of create those roles then absolutely it's important to me to create movies where women are good at their jobs and and the reason I say that is because so many um, movies may have women in the lead roles even like for example spy films and the next movies I'm doing is spy film but they're the core of the movie is actually a romance and the plot turns on the romance with the guy and there's something called the Bechdel test which um, is a test for movies that counts how many scenes women are in and talking where they're not talking about a guy and if you do it for I forget the number I think it's like over 50 less than 50 percent then you pass the test Um, and very few movies pass the test because if you watch every movie women are talking about men 
uh, in, in a lot of the scenes. So the reason I'm bringing that up is like uh, one of the my favorite compliments for people who liked Equity was when people said that the roles could have been played by men. And that's really what I'm trying to create, you know, whether it's Wall Street, sports, spy films, like roles that, yes, they have, they're women and they have their things that are women that are not men, but the general role could be played by a man or a woman. Right, so and the I conversation did not necessitate who it was. It was about the work, not about the, everything else. Yes, exactly. It was about, like, equity was about Naomi's big deal. It wasn't about James Purefoy. Right. Her love interest, who's a very sexy guy. If we want to talk about that, we can do that. Sure, that could always be talking about, too. (laughs) So what was your, when you think back to equity, or really everything that you've done, what are you, what would you say you're most proud of, or the thing that you would be most proud to tell your son that you had done? Huh, what a, what a good um, question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that, like, an individual work thing is something I'm most proud of. I think it's more um, persevering through the ups and downs and creating art. And, and, you know, not everything, you don't hit everything out of the ballpark, but creating art that aligns with um, my mission and hopefully is entertaining and something he can watch many years from now he, he has seen backwards because it's pg um <laughs> so that's fun too um but yeah i mean i really value family i really value family so when i look back on the things that that i value most it, it actually is the time with family um as opposed to like saying oh i made equity that's that's the highlight of my life right right but then i guess the, the exciting thing would be that you, your family was so much a part of you while you were doing that. It was like a second baby sort of. Well, but but your most your focus was on your family, but they got to see who you were and what was important to you, and hopefully will carry that through as well. Absolutely, yeah. And I have a wonderful family. My dad does production. He's a lawyer. He does production legal on all my films. Oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah. So I have a real support system in my family. Without which, you know, I don't know that I could make the movies I make. And, and Sarah and I were talking yesterday about this. So I have a daughter and two sons. And it's fascinating to see when all of a sudden it clicks sort of with your son, what you're doing. So my daughter, hopefully, got it, <laughs> what I've been doing. But when it clicks with your son and he sees what you're doing and how important women are, and what it, it there's something really special in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for sure. I... I, I you would assume it just happens with everybody, but there is something very personal. When he's it in you, and you hope, okay, that's what that's what I needed to do. I needed to, to teach you this, and now you've learned it, and hopefully you're going to carry it through. And I think that's what you're doing to, for all of us. You're making that easy for all of us now. Well, thank you. I don't know that I'm making it easy for you. It's hard for everyone, right? <laughs> well, you're making it a lot easier for us to do that though by by showing that by by making something seem normal that isn't normal but that is normal but by perception is not so mm-hmm. when our boys go to see that movie it becomes a very mm-hmm. normal thing and that's what it should be totally and i actually think the tide is changing I, it wasn't when we started making equity um but i think everything that's going on in the news right now i think you know Gina Davis Institute has been doing their thing and it's and people are starting to really listen um and i do think 
it's going to start to change. But there was this um, disturbing statistic, uh, I believe it was The Hollywood Reporter a couple weeks ago, that said that of the top 20 women in entertainment reported by The Hollywood Reporter, all of them report to a man, um, which, if you think about it, is is not good. Uh, no. But it is starting to change. I mean, Wonder Woman was the highest grossing movie all summer long. Uh, and, you know, female lead, female director, Girls Trip, another movie um, that hit it out of the ballpark. We all know hidden figures, etc. And I think when Hollywood sees the numbers and that it's actually smart business to make these films because yeah. women buy over 50% of the movie tickets, then we'll start to see a shift. But again, I, there's a lot of talk about um, female directors which we need and which is really important but to get to the female directors you have to have the female producers and writers who are creating the content so we were talking about before what sort of the most difficult parts of this were so the fundraising is a difficult part is there anything else so for those out there who want to get into this and sort of preparing themselves or what's going to be difficult sure. what, what would you say was one of the harder things that you approached and how you overcame it well fundraising is always always (laughs) always the hardest every time from play to you know it just is uh and getting people you know um on board is is difficult but I, i actually think the hardest thing above and beyond fundraising is the idea coming up with an idea that is commercial that no one else has done um and then once you have that you know seeing it through to the best of your ability. I mean, the one piece of advice I I give um, a few of the people that I mentor uh, is if you're going to make a film um, and it's going to be kind of a rom-com of your life or uh, a small snippet of your life, it could be the best thing in the world. I I don't, I'm no one to judge that, but who's going to fund it and who's going to go see it? So uh, I think it, the most important thing is to come up with a a commercial idea in a commercial genre that hasn't been told before. And that that's the most difficult each time. And when you were going through it, is it something that are you thinking about it sort of all the time or do you sort of designate a certain time during the day each day to sort of work it out? Um, for the ideas, it's kind of like you have to sit down and kind of hash it out and do research. You know, it's pretty much all the time, if, you know, to get it done. Um, and even on the fundraising, it's all the time. You know, on Monday, one of my investors had a couple of her friends over. On Wednesday, I was at dinner with a new investor. You know, it's a, it's a full-time job, and, and you have to, you know, if someone's going to give you their money, you have to work around their schedule. So that's the most difficult thing, too. You know, like being a mom, my last minute, be like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a babysitter. My husband's at work, and i got to be here. And, oh, my gosh, blah, blah, blah. You know, but my sister lives here, so sometimes I can I can dump the kid off with her. Right. <laughs> right. That's a joke. <laughs> have you ever gotten to a situation where maybe someone disagreed with your idea or, or was negative about it and you felt strongly? Like if you're in a situation where you sort of need the fundraiser, but at the same time – you believe so strongly in what you've done that you f- you would challenge their perception of it. Well, I think that anyone who's going to get on board a project as an investor is getting on board because they like the, your idea, you, and how you're executing it. Otherwise, they're not going to write you a check. So if it's someone who wants it to be some other way, then, um, you know, I always suggest parting ways. It's not, it's not, 
worth it for either party. You know, you want you want your investors to be happy. You want to have long term relationships. Um, that hasn't happened to me personally. Um, I will say it has happened to me. Like when you interview directors, with my first film, there's a director I was interviewing, and I, you know gave him the script and told him, look, I'm making it female-driven rowing film that's going to be PG and, and the goal of it's for girls. And he was like, well, why don't you make it a movie about an actress who doesn't quite make it? I swear <laughs> to God, that's what he said. And I'm like, but um, it's a female-driven rowing. Like, here's the script. And sometimes you do have people who will take it, like, that far away from what you're trying to make. Um, and it's really important to just listen and and, under, and say, you know, that's great, but that's that's not the project I'm making, so it's probably best if we don't work on this one together. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Has there ever been a time when someone made a suggestion to you, and you, I mean, and you had the full picture in your head, and they made it may have been the slightest suggestion, and it sort of changed things all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you were like, wait a minute, now I'm not sure. Um, I think that happens all the time. You know, it's because you always get a lot of good, especially when we start to do test screenings. So we do test screenings for all our movies, which I highly recommend, um, because by the time you're in the edit, you are too close to it, and you need to hear other people's opinions. Um, and especially in the test screening, you know, you can have a sampling of 50 people, and we have questionnaires, and all the answers can be different. Do you like the ending? Yes, no, maybe. And you'll have, it'll be split down the middle. Um I always say, again, like, in, in those scenarios, you have to go with your gut and go back to the original original concept of the film. But, like, let's say you're in a text screening and you think something, but 30 people say something else. Well, then you better listen to them because they're the ones watching right. it, and, and, and usually that's good advice. Um, but it is a little bit of a listen to your gut thing a lot of times because there's – I guess what I'm saying is there's never any black and white. It's a creative process, and um, – tricky because what on paper might be a good idea might be a good idea that doesn't work in the structure of the film or in the genre you're telling and when that does happen what do you do so you have like do you go and do a rewrite and then you refilm it how do you handle that so when it happens you do sometimes do on both my films i have done reshoots i have always put that in the budget um it's usually two days and usually what that is is something's missing that you couldn't have known is missing until you have the film acted the way it's acted and directed the way it's directed on set uh, and put together. So, for example, with Backwards, the film was um, all done and test audiences felt like they needed a little bit more backstory of the lead character. Um, and so we had to go back and shoot that a little bit. Uh, we had to shoot a little bit more of the opening of the film. With Equity, we had to go in um, and explain a little bit more about the IPO and actually shoot a shoot a road show so that audiences could not just hear about it but visually see that um so so you just don't know on each film what it is but yeah you you do sometimes have to go back in and then on the writing i mean i just finished my latest draft today um you know i think i'm up to like 200 drafts you're always writing and rewriting and and tweaking when you were filming equity what was something or i mean i'm sure there are many things you learned along the way but was there something that really stands out that really sort of may have changed your perspective when you were doing or some, something you learned going through it that you never expected? Um, I, you know, you always learn so much. There were, two, there were two things I took away. I mean, one, you always take away each movie, each movie, um, you know, 
because each one's kind of a startup, which part of the team you like and, and, and you work well with and which part, you know, maybe you don't work well with and want to keep working with, you know, like there may be a um, DP's assistant that, you know, you worked with on one movie and you're not going to work with again. Um, so that's one thing you kind of, as you go along, you fine tune your crew. For example, like I've had the same line producer on all my films and he's grown with me and he's incredible and, and he stuck with me and, and that's incredible. And the other thing I learned on equity from like a, a business side, um, which I put into this next film is because equity was basically about three Caucasian women on wall street. We sold to Sony classics at Sundance and, and we sold for a significant profit, um, worldwide rights, but we didn't, carve out any international rights like we didn't sell um china or india or england separately because there wasn't really a strong international angle there in terms of them wanting to uh, watch this independent film so with the next film as i was developing the idea and the characters the three leads are, are all different nationalities and what that does inherently is it makes your audience um broader and and the ability to do better on a foreign foreign side and without revealing much about the next film because trust me we're all going to want to be there just as much as equity um can you give us some idea timing when we should be prepared or ready for the launch or or when it's all coming out yeah, so we're going to be doing a press release on it later this month, um, and then we're in prep. We'll start shooting in March, and um, you know the edit the edit takes anywhere from three to four months. Um, we're looking to launch it at Toronto or Sundance, depending on how the edit goes. But there will be a cut um, ready end of next year twenty what are we twenty eighteen. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's a, it's a fast-moving process once the, once the ball really gets rolling. It's exciting. So you wear many hats, as we said before. You're an actress, you're a producer, you're a writer. Do you have one that you enjoy the most or that you find the most stressful? Like, how do you differentiate the three different roles? Yeah, I love creating ideas, and, and I love being the producer who kind of sees something from the germ of an idea to the final product. I think in terms of, you know, we're talking a little about like reward or what makes you most proud. That makes me most proud. Um, you know, when you have that full complete film that you started with a, a, just an idea, um, in terms of pleasure, I mean, producing is a tough job because you're basically the boss and as the boss of a company that doesn't have a lot of money because it's low budget filmmaking, you know, people's, <laughs> people are going to come with you to problems. That's their job. Right? Right. <laughs> so you are the person answering problems on a, on a daily basis. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not always the day to day most enjoying thing. Whereas I, I love acting, you know, so when I'm on set acting, uh, as long as I'm confident about the scene and the character, to me, that's the most enjoyable. Um, writing is, is the hardest, but actually, you know, before this film, I would have said it was my least favorite. Um, I did write backwards as well, um, and it was torturous because it was like my first screenplay. <laughs> but with this one, the more yeah, the more and more I do it, I actually am starting to enjoy it, uh, which is like a nice little surprise. So, with those three roles, do you ever direct? I have not directed, and I absolutely do want to direct. Uh, and I'm actually thinking of directing my next film, not this next one, the next next one. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so two from now. But I don't believe in directing, producing, writing, 
personally and starring, playing a lead role. I think that's too many hats. I think it's really important to build a team, and I think it's really important to have an outside eye as a director. Um, so I would never feel comfortable kind of directing myself in a leading role. So it would be something where, you know, I write it and, you know, maybe I have a cameo, but, uh, but I direct it and don't have a leading role. That's so exciting. So when you say you're next, next, and again, not asking to reveal any secrets. <laughs> but I have no idea. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. People always ask, and this is why they're like, what's your next thing? What's your next thing? Like, even on Equity Press Tour, and, and the be- people always tell you as advice, always know what your next thing is. And that's great advice, but I have no idea how people do it, to be honest, because like I spend Saturdays a week on the current idea, right through distribution. Um, so I fully believe in seeing one project through before uh, you put your hat into another one. But that said, we still are um, working on the Equity TV spinoff. Uh, we'll be we'll be pitching that to cable. So that's also in the mix as well. So can we talk about that a little bit? How do you, for, how do you take a movie and then turn it into a television screen or a television pitch. How does that even happen? Well, we first went around. We sold the um, rights. We carved those rights out with the Sony sale um, at Sundance. And then we sold the TV rights originally to TriStar. Um, And then we went around uh, to only ABC and NBC, and and they had a copy of the movie. And we put together Sizzle Reel, much like the Sizzle Reel um, that I do for the films, and uh, they brought on TriStar, brought on a showrunner, Regina Corrado, who's amazing, and we pitched them, and and ABC actually bought the pitch in the room, and so we developed it with ABC for several months. Um, They ultimately passed on it, uh, which happens in TV all the time, and so now, next up, we go to cable, which I actually think it is a better market for this. The tricky thing about um, network. Everyone wants to go to network first because it's money, right? There's more right. episodes, it's syndication, etc. So it's a ton more money. But it has to have kind of a week-to-week Law & Order SVU type feel. And equity is really um, edgier and I think more for kind of like a HBO or a Showtime if they didn't have billions type fare. Would you write... So, so when you're thinking about that, as opposed to like an ABC versus a cable... Do you then rewrite the, the script that you've been writing? How does that work? It's super complicated. Um, <laughs> so basically, it is, truly, because, like, um, everything we work done in ABC is ABCs, but everything that the film that we created is ours. So all the characters are ours. Um, you know, the whole story and plot line are ours. But then each network has a say. So, like, let's say this landed at Hulu or who knows, or Amazon. Like, they have a say on who they, you know how they want to see the script and it's very different cable to network that's so interesting and when you're writing those shows so is it like a 30 minute segment for a network show as opposed to an i don't know is there like a time difference between cable versus a network yeah for sure so network has to fit a specific time for their commercials cable now is a little bit all over the place i don't know if you watch kind of game of thrones like episodes have yes. different <laughs> everything <running> times <laughs> um for sure so but yeah you know we have we were doing a one hour for abc um and i still feel like it would probably be a one hour for for cable but we're not we're not there yet 
Well, I can't wait until you are, and I can't believe our time is yeah. up right now. I, oh, my goodness. So it's so quickly. Like I know. <laughs> I have to have you back on here again. I can't wait for this to become a series. I can't wait to see the next film. I can't wait to see Equity again, and I can't wait to see the next, next film that's going to come. You are an inspiration to all of us out there, and what you are doing is – it's so – and I – as I, as many listeners know, I have a 21-year-old daughter, and this is so imperative and so necessary for these girls to see this and to see that we can do it and they can do it. And I'm so grateful to everything you're doing. And Sarah, for anyone out there who wants to see Equity, what's the best way to get to it? Yeah, so it's already had its kind of theatrical. I think it's, it's still on iTunes. Um, if you Google it, you can you can get a copy. And can you go on demand to it also? It was on demand, and it was on Netflix. I'm not sure if those windows have closed. Um, it is on DVD still. So whoever out there has not seen it, I am telling you, find it, watch it, get your daughters to watch it, get your friends to watch it. It is inspiring. It's empowering. It's just amazing. It's And, and, and it's yeah. very exciting. It's a thriller. It's, an, it's, it's a real, true thriller as you go through it. And what's so exciting is that the women are playing those roles. Sarah, thank you for everything that you do. We can't wait till the next thing, and I can't wait till you come back on the show. Yeah, and thanks for having me. I just want to say it's uh, it, I'm so grateful for people who go out there and see the female-driven content. That That's how we can create more. So thank you to you. And get out there and do it. And everyone, thank you for coming again tonight, and I'll see you next week. Good night. Do you love poetry, hip-hop, and live music? Well then, come on down to The Poet Will Be Televised every second Wednesday of the month at Funkadelic Studios. Perform your own pieces during the open mic or just enjoy the vibes. The Poet Will Be Televised, the best poetry jam in New York. For more information, visit www.thereclife.org.